Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's openly said by the President of the United States, you know, there's been efforts to silence me in the briefing room. There have been efforts to discredit me. Um, but you know, who I've been and who I am is who you know. I, you know, I'm an open book. Anyone who knows me knows me. And what you see is what you get from me. There have been a number of public statements made by Whitaker, including saying there's no criminal mm -hmm. obstruction of justice charge to be had against right. President Trump. That right. seems pre prejudicial to many. He was a former U.S. attorney, which is probably something he does actually have to remind people about him a lot because he doesn't look like a U.S. attorney so much as he looks like a Kenmore refrigerator that somehow escaped from a Sears. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So whenever I find myself growing grim about the mouth, whenever it's a damp, drizzly November in my soul, whenever it requires a strong moral principle to prevent me from methodically knocking people's hats off, then I account it high time to see some indictments from the office of the special counsel, Robert Mueller. Okay, so I'm no Herman Melville, but I do have the enthusiasm for indictments of Trump's circle that Ishmael had for whaling ships. There were rumors of indictments last week when Trump saw Democrats clean up at the midterms, nuttily fired his nutty AG, Jeff Sessions, who'd recused himself from the Russia investigation and hired a true escapee from Happy Farms, subliterate dirty judge Matthew Whitaker, who couldn't find the law on a map and thinks the Bible should serve as the U.S. Constitution. As hopefully future governor of Florida Andrew Gillum said, Trump seems nervous. Indeed, he has no shield from House oversight now that the Democrats control that chamber, so he's hoping to shield himself from Mueller, which is, well, don't fool with the office of the special counsel. It's like Mother Nature that way. And Trump is right to be nervous. So we'd heard indictments were coming, maybe related to that Trump Tower meeting. If it's what you say, we love it, said American citizens, but no indictments last week and none this week so far. But hope springs eternal. Sooner or later, we'll be back in that sweet heavenly retreat from reality, my castle on a document cloud, a good old DOJ indictment of someone in Trump's circle in the Russia investigation. Ah, document clouds. My guest today is Jameel Smith. He's a senior writer for Rolling Stone. His latest column, Trumpism is Racism, So Things Will Get Worse, will be out in December's print issue. It's available now on rollingstone.com. I'll be back with Jameel Smith in just a minute. But first, we have a press conference with Matthew Whitaker. Good afternoon. My name is Matthew Whitaker. I'm the acting attorney general, and I've come before you today to address some uh, allegations that I may not be fair minded when it comes to the Mueller probe. Look, just because I was a tight end at the University of Iowa does not mean that I'm putting a tight end to the Mueller probe. Have I made some comments in the past as a citizen uh, before I had this role that were negative towards the Mueller probe? 
Yes. Does that mean I can't be fair-minded? No, absolutely not. Okay. Do I, do I have a bumper sticker on my car that says Mueller sucks? Yeah, I do. Okay. I would bet a lot of you have bumper stickers on your car too. It's a joke. Bumper sticker is a joke. Okay. I saw a car the other day with a bumper sticker that says my other car is a broom. Does that mean that that person's a witch? I'm going to say probably almost certainly not. Okay. It's a joke. Uh, there was a report that uh, upon finding out that I was becoming the acting AG, uh, a colleague that was in the room saw me pump my fist and shout, yes, now we can end the Mueller probe. Okay, when it comes to that, uh, that was just an outburst of joy on my part. I was happy to get a promotion. You know, uh, sometimes when I have a particularly good meal, I shout, yes, now we can end the Mueller probe. It's a figure of speech. I'm sure we don't be, uh, we're not walking around holding everybody uh, accountable for the things that they say when they get good news. That's that's totally absurd. Uh, I also read a, a report. Uh, somebody disclosed that I have a back tattoo, uh, a giant tattoo on my back that's just Robert Mueller's face and then a circle and a strike through it. So it's like the Ghostbusters logo. Uh, but instead of a ghost, it's Robert Mueller. Yes, I have a back tattoo. Okay, a lot of people have tattoos, maybe some of them that they regret. I know a guy who has got an ACDC tattoo in college. Does, is he happy that he has that? Uh, probably not. Okay. I was, uh, practically a kid when I got that thing. It was three months ago. So does that reflect my goals here in the Department of Justice? Uh, no, it doesn't. Um, so I'd like the press to just step off, let me do my job here and look at all the facts as a fair-minded person. I'm not taking any questions today. I've got to cut the funding on an investigation. Joining me on the line is Jamil Smith. He's a senior writer at Rolling Stone. Jamil, welcome back to Trumpcast. Thank you very much. So you are now you're writing for Rolling Stone and this latest column of yours, Trumpism is racism. So things will get worse. It's a real it's a it's an upper. It's a feel good piece. <laughs> I like to keep things optimistic and uh, and cheery, uh, especially when we're talking about elections. Uh, yes. I think a lot of folks, we, we engage a little bit of like too much optimism, too much pessimism around this election time. I felt like a little dose of realism would be helpful. I think that's great. So let's get down to details. This kind of Trumpism around the election before and after. And if you define Trumpism as racism, and we're going to get to that, that means that there have been just overtly brown shirt style street kind of taunting, but this time from the people with the podium and the mic, taunting reporters, taunting political foes, making obscure references to things like lynching that we thought had more or less fallen out of the discourse of the sane. And maybe you can walk us through them just so we can understand how much they've piled up in the last month. Indeed. I think certainly we look at the campaign of Ron DeSantis, who ran against Andrew Gillum in the Florida governor's race. We have there a guy who, you know, he won the primary by currying favor with Trump by saying that I support I have my kids building uh, model versions of uh, your xenophobic monument, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. your, your wall along the southern border. Um, I have your kids, uh, my kids reading your uh, your art of the deal memoir. This is somebody who realized that, you know, the only way that he was going to win was essentially if he got Trump to tell Floridians to vote for him. And so there was mm -hmm. no real platform that he ran on other than kowtow to Trump and essentially, you know, 
associate Andrew Gillum with any kind of negative cultural markers within the Florida community. So you have him linking him to the Dream Defenders, a civil rights group based out of Miami who is not anti-Israel per se, but they certainly uh, are pro-Palestinian, you know, and they certainly want to uh, <laughs> get, you know, have a, at least a two-state solution. Have a two-state solution, I think solution, that, you yeah. know, certainly DeSantis made, DeSantis wanted to use that, a pledge that Gillum and certainly dozens of other candidates signed with the Dream Defenders as grist for essentially, you know, making white people scared of him. And this is just one of yeah. the examples that, you know, in, of, of how he did that, of course, his first comment out of the box after the primary was uh, telling Floridians not to monkey this up by mm-hmm. electing Andrew Gillum as the first black governor of Florida. So, you know, it, it ranged from the clumsy to the to the ridiculous. OK, I have devised something I call the Gillum test when we say, ah. decide who's being racist. You know what I'm going to say? It's not you who decides. It's not the people who are offended. It's not people who parse dog whistles or don't really know what we're talking about with racist speech. It is racist themselves. As Andrew Gillum put it to Ron DeSantis, after citing donors to his campaign, his supporters, the people who retweet him, the people who send him Bitcoin, he said, I'm not saying I believe you're a racist. I'm saying the racists believe you're a racist. I think that is suitable for Bartlett's. Exactly. And I'm going to call it the Gillum test. I think we can comfortably say that Donald Trump and his Don Jr., his son, and Mike Flynn and Mike Flynn Jr., his son, and all the people around Donald Trump are now retweeted and violence is done in their name often enough by racists that they've been claimed by their own. And that, to me, is how you can Mm -hmm. say what you just said, Trumpism is racism. But do you think there's some way that DeSantis could have extenuated the monkey it up? Is is that just straight up racism or is there some slippage there? I don't even, some of these expressions I don't even understand. I think it's racist signaling, to be most specific. I think that DeSantis, I don't know if he has racism in his heart. But what he's doing by saying monkey this up, which all, by the way, I should note, is not something that anybody really says. Yeah. Is he's signaling to the racist that, hey, I'm with Trump. I'm with these xenophobic discriminatory policies that are promoted by this administration. He signaled that right out of the gate. So tell me about some of these other incidents. You probably saw Sherilyn Eiffel's extraordinary um, and really impassioned. I just thought tonally I loved this thread of hers um, where she begins by saying that Trump's insult of Abby Phillips, she's the journalist, went too far. She he, And then she goes on to um, describe all the ways that Trump, Trump himself, not Trump's proxies, but Trump himself directly insulted black women, um, almost journalists and, and, and lawmakers. Um, and then his colleague, um, Omarosa, uh, did you, I mean, what did you make of that? The very strange and particular language that he used, um, that Sherilyn Eiffel points out is not the same as calling someone sleepy eyes or Lil Marco or wacky. Um, she says it's part of a very specific history of, of denigration that subjects these women to threats of violence. Um, do, do you concur? Right. Do you, what did you make of the, that string of attacks on black women? I was incensed, frankly. Uh, I thought that, uh, first of all, uh, there's no need for me to defend the journalistic credentials of Michelle Sindor 
April Ryan or Abby Phillip. All three are consummate professionals. Um, and I don't need to get into, you know, defending their records. They, you know, their work speaks for themselves. At issue here, though, is exactly the historical context that uh, that Sherilyn brings up and that you have a president who, whether or not he understands that history, whether or not he even knows that history, spoke to these women in with such utter disrespect and um, in just disregard that he does not speak to other people with. Yeah. He reserves it for African-Americans largely, but specifically African-American women. You see, you don't see Nancy Pelosi being denigrated as unintelligent. You yeah. see that happening with Maxine Waters when the president goes to speak to his audience. It serves him and his audience to continually paint, not just African-Americans as racist as he mm-hmm. did with Yamish, um, or as losers, as he did with Miss Miss Ryan, but also, you know, as stupid, you know, you- and as 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 less as less than intelligent, and as and not worthy of being in their particular positions. This is a, an attitude that doesn't just bleed into the history of how uh, black women have been treated in this country, but also in terms of policy. You look at the affirmative action debate. This is key to that understanding of how conservatives view this. You know, the, the idea is that they don't deserve to be here with mm-hmm. us, mm-hmm. that we somehow, through our unearned advantages in this country, um, deserve to be here more so than someone who, you know, works and gets scholarships to these kinds of schools. Now, granted, you know, I have some experience with this. Uh, I went to an Ivy League school. Mm-hmm. I got plenty of, you know, uh, flack for, you know, sort of being an affirmative action baby, as they used to term it. But um, I never regretted that i never you know you know let that shame me i certainly think that these women as much as uh they've gone through some hell over these last couple days because of how the president treated them um i think that and also like we should note that you know the president treating this way them this way gives license to his followers to then bombard them with attacks and and harassment and so it's not just the incident it's the what it's what he tells his supporters to do by proxy after he's done it. And yeah. so we really we have a real sick sickness in this in this society and this president seeks to feed upon it, you know, uh, for, for the sake of his own political power. Yeah, I was talking to Ellie Mistel style the other day from above the law, and it was right mm-hmm. on the heels of I think we were pretty much reading the Sheryl and Eiffel thread together. Um, and we we had that conversation about do black men get it worse than white women? It's ridiculous, like because both of us get a lot of trolling. And I asked him what what it would it be like to be confronted by the president directly. And, you know, we should say even Acosta got this with the kind of you're a terrible person. You're racist to your face. You know, you're you're mm-hmm. you're stupid. You're bad. I mean, just standing there and what he said and tell me if you agree is that you know you just get this like cadet like posture of it's like you're talking to a cop because you know any reaction mm-hmm. from you can be construed as a provocation and i i just i can't believe the white house press corps has to take that well here's the thing i think one of the larger stories of the trump presidency is that a lot of white people 
are becoming familiar with an, an emotion, a feeling, an understanding that many people of color and other marginalized <clears throat> minorities have had to deal with for their entire lives. And I include women in this, which is this idea that, you know, oh my gosh, like there are certain situations in which I am, I feel not just threatened because of who I am, but also because I feel uh, this, this shock and appalling, you know, fear of being who I am in certain spaces. Yeah. And I think that, you know, white people are by and large getting familiar with this emotion because they are being, you know, essentially marginalized by uh, how, you know, this president is behaving and how this president is isolating various different people who he, you know, doesn't particularly care for. And with regards to this, I think that, you know, you, you have a, a guy who, you know, and Jim Acosta, who, you know, is, I think, you know, for the most part trying to do his job. Um, I don't, I didn't necessarily see a deer in the headlights there. Um, I didn't mm. see a deer hitting the headlights mm -hmm. with Yamish or Abby or Miss Ryan. They are not scared of him. And I think mm -hmm. that's what provokes his anger. Um, yeah. They are not scared of anything that he has to say or does to them. Um, I, you know, I've been pulled over. I know what that fear feels like with a, with a police officer, you know, not knowing whether or not this is going to be the time that I end up being, you know, a hashtag. I don't think that, you know, if I were walking to a room with Donald Trump, I would not feel that fear. Interesting. Okay. Why? Because he's so out of control because he's not armed. I mean, I think we all have fantasies of how we would stand up to him and, you know, not fall under his spell <laughs> or be intimidated. Why aren't they afraid? I think because they've faced bigger threats in their life. You know, number one. Yeah. They face, you're talking about black women who have grown to a mature age in this country. They have faced a lot worse things than Donald Trump. Yeah. You know, in their face, you know, saying nasty words to them. I mean, just inevitably. So I think in this instance, I think that you have people who aren't scared of him because there's, you know, he gains power from their fear. It's almost like the, you know, Pennywise and it, you know, I mean, oh, you yeah, know if, you, yeah. if you decide that you're not scared of this person, then you have the power. And so I think that, you know, to a woman, Yamish, Miss Ryan and Abby all did their jobs. I say Miss Ryan out of respect uh, yeah. uh, for my elders, but with Miss Elsendor and Miss Philip all did their jobs in that moment. Yeah. Now, yeah, it would have been like quippy to, for them to come back and be like, well, what's racist, Mr. President? Or, yeah. you know, it's, you come back with some kind of like one liner, perhaps. But I don't think that serves the public. Their job is to serve the public and get the most information that they can. And right. they did their jobs and, and maintain their composure and their professionalism. I you know, wish we could say the, most, the, the same of the president. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M 
Noom.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. One interesting way of experiencing the kind of trolling that other people get is to tag them or retweet them. So the, the the comments on the comments on the statement are also include you, you know. So I did this with uh, without intending to. I, I I retweeted something Van Jones um, said or a video with him after the election, and uh, so his name and my name, or his handle and my handle, were joined in the responses. And the responses. So this is two years ago. That must the have response, been fun for you. Oh yeah, I, and I couldn't believe. I mean, he just cleared off. He just was has been handling it for, I guess, for a long time. But the responses, some of which came from what looked like bots, um, started to use the word racist in place of the N-word. So they were clearly teeing up the N-word, you know, with scum and boy and stuff like that. But then all of a sudden they said, you're a racist. And it just, that seemed incredibly (laughs) insidious, you know, and somewhat, I mean, just like diabolical. I mean, and had you noticed that before Trump used it about Yamiche? I've I've seen that happen in my life <laughs> well before Donald Trump ever showed up in politics. The use of racist as an epithet for black people. Oh, certainly. I mean, the, the idea that you can turn around and redefine racism is essential to white nationalism. You have, you know, the self-victimization, the idea that white people are the true victims of this world, that they are the ones who are disadvantaged, that they are the ones being discriminated against, that they are the ones who are being pushed down and pushed out. That is an essential selling point for hatred yeah. of other people, of, yeah, yeah, my, yeah. Of, of Mexican immigrants, of black people who are, you know, maybe being promoted in your company or being accepted into your colleges, of Asian American people even, who who maybe that you feel like are taking your place or or, or ascending in this society faster than, than your immigrant parents did. These are tropes that are used to sell hatred. And that's why I just shrug it mostly because aside from the abhorrent treatment that the president subjected Yamish to in that instance, I think that it's just simply a signal that he really he was answering her question. Her question was about whether or not he was aligning himself with white nationalism. I think his response to her in the way that he did it certainly signaled that, yes, he is. And it heard her question in a very brusque and indirect way. Yeah. I want to sort of touch on something even more sensitive, if that could be imagined, which is the history of the Pentagon investigating terrorism is the history of it trying to connect states and terrorist actors. With our own domestic terrorism scourge, the Kroger murders, the Pittsburgh massacre, Mm -hmm. at what point do we say these things are what, they're enabled, they're emboldened, they're encouraged, they're all but sponsored by Trump and people around him. Is that, do you think that's a stretch? It's not at all. From the FBI report that was just released today, hate crimes went up 17%, 17% in 2017. Mm-hmm. And that's the third straight year that crimes, you know, such crimes increased. And that, you know, more than half of those crimes, about three out every five, targeted a person's race or ethnicity. About one out of five targeted their religion. And we're not Mm -hmm. talking about Christianity here. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I think it's long past the time that we say that President Trump is encouraging domestic terrorism, not just ignoring it by Mm -hmm. 
you know, directing his uh, counterterrorism team to solely look at, you know, Muslim and other forms of, you know, brown people terrorism. No, we're talking about, you know, a guy who's, you know, who's vested political, his, his political power. He has a vested interest in maintaining this climate. And yeah. if the climate produces attacks, it produces people, you know, sending mail bombs to pretty much most of the Democratic leadership. That's OK by him. He'll go on TV and say it's not his fault and he'll blame the Democrats and what have you. And people will buy it because, frankly, there's a really cultish atmosphere on the right right now mm-hmm. that, you know, they just kind of swallow anything he says. That power gives him a lot of leeway to essentially get away with this. I mean, a guy who's literally encouraging these attacks. You know, with his rhetoric, telling people to go out and be aggressive and not condemning them once they've happened. I mean, we didn't hear the president say anything about what happened with the Kroger shooting because that could have been another Charleston. Remember, he went to a church before that and the church was locked. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, the president only comments on tragedies that can maybe, you know, affect his political power with his base. Other than that, he doesn't seem to care all that much. So what's to be done? I mean, I think that we anticipated that there'd be more of this kind of thing at the time of the election. Has it been worse than you think about what you expected? I mean, frankly, the results of the election uh, should be a boon to the left. You have a number of people, not just the statistics on diversity of, you know, youngest woman ever elected to Congress and, you know, two Muslim women, two Native American women elected first openly gay governor of a state. But You know, I think the left should be encouraged by the fact that the stuff on which they were losing elections, I'd say maybe as recently as two years ago. I mean, Dave Bratt beat Eric Cantor in Virginia on the strength of, you know, this Tea Party push. Yeah. And to to repeal Obamacare. And he's out in Virginia. Ashley Spanberger, the former CIA agent, replaced him because, frankly, she's there to protect Obamacare. People Mm -hmm. decide they like it. People Mm -hmm. had enough time to understand that these entitlements are a good thing um, in in a lot of cases. And so I think that there should be a lot of uh, folks on the left who feel encouraged going into 2020, because I think, frankly, you're not going to get a candidate who is going to go the Michael Avenatti route and simply, you know, their entire time engaging Trump on his behavior and whatever he says. Mm -hmm. What they're going to do is to sell people on policy. That is going to help make their lives better. Now, what they have to do is to talk about that policy through an intersectional lens. They have to really understand how disparate impacts affect certain communities. They can't just talk about these things and ignore race, gender and other forms of identity based discrimination. When Bernie Sanders said that people in Florida, maybe they weren't racist. They just weren't comfortable voting for Andrew Gillum because he's black. It occurred to me that even a far left figure like Sanders from his generation thinks about the question of civil rights from the point of view of deciding between McGovern and Goldwater, like two white men. And if you're a Mm -hmm. liberal, you want a liberal white man who thinks that the races should be equal. But you might not then feel comfortable (laughs) actually voting for a black man. And when you look at the complexion of, of Congress and these people elected, women and men, it really is astounding that this is a, a very different and complex time, much more complex time for race politics than, than anything, 
you know, Lyndon Johnson could have imagined. And in a way, that conversation, the McGovern conversation or the Bernie Sanders conversation about civil rights is is moribund. That's what you mean by intersectionality is that, you know, having Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, having uh, having a Scott Gillum or a, a Stacey Abrams um, changes the conversation completely. It's not a just a left and right on social issues question. It's incredibly complex. Right. And it's not just about having the symbolism of having those people in mm-hmm. office, but also having the, the, the benefit that you gain by having people with lived experience with racism, with misogyny and other forms of, uh, uh, of oppression and how and understanding how those uh, forms of oppression, you know, intertwine and rely upon one another, one another. It's valuable to have people like that in office to help ma- help making help making laws uh, yeah. to help, uh, you know, their constituents understand how, you know, you know, more effective solutions can be it can be put together. This is not about trying to exploit, uh, you know, folks and trying to make sure you turn out the black vote or the. Or, or women in suburbia or what have you. Mm-hmm. It's not about trying to, you know, you gear this towards elections. It's about crafting effective policy. Mm-hmm. And if you have an interest in crafting effective policy, you're going to get more people of color involved. You're going to get more women involved. You're going to get a more LGBTQ people involved, mm-hmm. more people who have had disparate experiences in life so that they you know, have, again, that lived experience. But again, I just think that it's, it's important for people to understand that, um, you know, when I when I expressed in my column is that you know Trumpism can be boiled down to you know a very simple thing. It's espousing racism. It's embracing racism. Mm-hmm. That is what it is. It's not some kind of like complex um, you know a political dogma. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's simply going out and selling or an racism interest in the white working and, class, and it's going to, yeah, right. And I think that what Bernie Sanders fails to understand still in this is that a lot of the folks that he seems dedicated to chasing almost exclusively have already left the party. Those are folks who are willing to vote for white supremacy. Those are people willing to vote for white nationalism consciously. And by saying, by excusing them and saying that they're not comfortable to vote for um, a black person, he misunderstands what racism actually is. Yeah. And I think he's just, un- frankly, I think it's a political move. He's unwill- He's willing to say that people like DeSantis and Brian Kemp in Georgia ran racist campaigns, but he's unwilling to call the voters out on that racism. Mm-hmm. And that is, frankly, Bernie Sanders' fatal flaw. Yeah, yes. When you said people in Congress can enlighten each other about their lived experiences, um, what comes to mind is Adam Schiff told a story recently about being you know, this congressman from California about being um, threatened and hazed and teased by Donald Trump uh, on Twitter called short or whatever, little, and then also um, getting death threats. And he approached Nancy Pelosi and he said, I've been getting to death threats, you know, very nervous. And she said, welcome to the club. Yeah. And that's essentially what I was expressing earlier with, you know, a lot of folks are, you know, oh my gosh, this is, the climate in this country is it's untenable. I mean, my gosh, I, how do we, did you know it was this racist? Did you know it was the sexist and folks, women, uh, black folks, uh, other folks of color are sitting on this side. Like, yeah, we told you it was this racist. We've told yeah. you for years. Yeah. It's about time that you understand what we've been seeing 
And frankly, I still, as much as people are experiencing that for the first time, I still don't think it's fully sunk in. And I really yeah. hope that we do not have to have another term of President Trump for them to understand. Yeah, right. Me too. Do you think it's possible for a <laughs> political party, say the Democrats, to have too much moral high ground? I mean, I've been t- my son asked me recently, are there any Republican ideas that you like? And I said, what's like what part of of the many things that's very difficult and, and depressing about coming of age politically now is that the Republicans have nothing. I mean, they used to there was like personal responsibility, fiscal responsibility. There's some value to family values, military discipline. But all that now is in the Democratic side. Like, it's as though, you know how when you're arguing with someone and they you, you're mounting this really complicated argument or really noble argument, and they just say back to you, OK, I'm an asshole. What can I say? I feel like that is Trump and the Republicans. <laughs> you just are like, but you're racist, but you're this, yeah. but you've done this, but you failed to do this, but you lied about this. And they just say, all right, we're assholes. Vote for us anyway. Yeah. Let me put it this way. In a normal America, if there has ever been one, we will be witnessing the denouement of the Republican Party. This would be the end because, frankly, they have run out of ideas to sell. All yeah. this trickle-down economics and, and, and compassionate conservatism, all it was was marketing. And, yeah. frankly, the American people, for a large part of them, have seen through all that. Yeah. Okay? And what they have left, frankly, are the people willing to adhere to the Republican Party because they understand what the Republican Party actually does. And Republican Party is about establishing and calcifying white advantage in this country and mm-hmm. also male advantage in this country and also Christian advantage in this country. Mm-hmm. They understand what the Republican Party has always really been doing. Mm-hmm. And they seen past the marketing a while ago and they said, you know what? We're OK with that. We're going to stick with that. That's where you get the percentage of people who support this president <laughs> and this yeah. party. And yeah. Frankly, they are running out of time. I do think that the Democrats can certainly screw this up. I do think that there are things that they can do that will help dilute their own advantage. But frankly, what we really need to focus on, what apparently looks like the new Democratic House is going to focus on, is addressing the institutions that dilute their advantage. Voter suppression, gerrymandering, things like that. Yeah. Are the or the, the systems that we need to be attacking, that we need to be eradicating because you can't look at our politics as a fair fight. It's just not. And yeah. it's like looking at Republicans and, and believing that they're actually conservatives. They're not. They're simply they're simply selling a very, very Brooks Brothers version of, of white supremacy that works for a lot of people. Obviously, they, they eat it up, but we need to understand it for what it is and stop buying the lines. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think the Republican Party is sufficiently corroded that it can't last like this. It can be propped up briefly with enough voter suppression and enough fake e-rallies mm-hmm. getting too much airtime, but it can't last for much longer, in my view. And when you have things like Trumpcast favorite, former Trump personal lawyer Michael Cohen stumping for Michelle Obama, then you know <laughs> we're at the end of the line. <laughs> I mean, it just shows you again, they really don't have any ideas to sell to the American public. Yeah. They don't have any real platform other than policies that help make rich people richer and white people feel better about themselves. That's the Republican Party right now. And if we want to buy into that, then we're welcome to. 
but we should talk about it frankly for what it is and not simply say like, oh, okay, this party that's promoting this like weird sort of, you know, white male macho attitude and doing it really in the service to help making rich people richer. That party is about Christianity or, you know, you know uh, serving their fellow man. These people are not public servants. Yeah. They are, uh, you know, they're just operators in, in the system. They are looking to exploit it. I just can't wait to have this in the rearview mirror where we can, you know, you and I can say, oh, remember when it was all falling apart? God, that was so long ago. We're so glad that's gone. Who was Mike Pence? Who was Michael Cohen? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Jamil, for being here. It's my pleasure. That's it for today's show. We are here on Twitter, so don't be a stranger. I'm at page 88, and the show is always at Real Trumpcast. And if you're ready to take your Trump casting to the next level, and I know you are ready to level up, sign up for Slate Plus, Slate's membership program, which gets you Trumpcast ad-free, exclusive bonus episodes, access to Slate events, a feeling of virtue, a halo, and it's only $35 for your first year. Just $35. Visit slate.com slash plus and sign up today. Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan with help from Shirley Chan. Steve Valtine performed today's sketch. And I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.